0: have been drinking of the fountain of youth. Um, We've known them a long time and they're just awesome, have fellowshiped with them and known them, seasoned pastor. Um, Now he is mentoring a life coach, travels and shares his story, a truly man of God. I got to catch a little bit of his message at OCI on Tuesday night. It was phenomenal. We are so honored. We don't give standing ovations for in-house, but we give them for those that come in. So let's stand and honor Pastor Chris Goins. We receive you with joy, amen. Church of the Harvest, whosoever, yes. yep. what an honor to be with you. I am so excited. I'm so thrilled. Uh, Pastor Rhonda, uh, it's amazing how God leads us in our journey of faith, sort of full circle. This week, I've been with three people who highly influenced me in the early years of my ministry, Brian and Faith Cutshaw yeah. over at Perry and Pam Stones, and all of a sudden Friday, you call Invite me to join you, and you and Hank were so, so instrumental to us. And, and she said something. She said, we don't give standing ovations to people in-house, but I want to say to you, some of the people that are most under attack in this generation are pastors and those who faithfully serve local churches. So I, I would never go against your in-house leadership ever. But what I do know is this, the Scripture exhorts us to honor those who labor among us. So I want to encourage you to give it up for Pastor Rhonda and let her know how much you love her and care for her. Pastor, we love you. Hey, could I go, uh, well, I think they've got me worked out now. Uh, Is that okay, I'm just hearing a buzz in that. Would it be okay if I go with that so we don't get that buzz throughout? if you've got your bibles turn with me to second corinthians chapter number seven verses five through seven let me say a quick prayer and let's jump in father i need you jesus i need you holy spirit i need you i look to you to anoint me and to anoint this congregation in jesus name And if you believe in saying aloud, amen, say amen. Amen. Question for you, have you ever been so discouraged you felt like quitting? Have you ever faced so many problems coming at you from every direction, all you wanted to do was throw up both hands, say, I quit, I give, I'm out, I'm finished, it's over, I'm done. Maybe it involves a relationship, maybe it involves a marriage, maybe it involves your parenting. Maybe it involves your health. Maybe it's a job, career, ministry, finances. Maybe it's the pursuit of a dream. Maybe it's just life in general. When life hits hard, I mean, when it hits hard, one voice of encouragement, just one, can change everything. Think of it this way. We live in a chronically negative world. We're bombarded with a 24-hour news cycle. Some of us doom scroll our social media feeds. And all it is is negative. And it's not just stuff out there. I mean, we might be able to take it if the discouragement just came from out there. Unfortunately, too often it's in here. And by in here, I mean the church. I mean our closest interpersonal relationships. Just think with me for a moment. Think about the conversations you've had this week with people you genuinely care about. Did those conversations build you up or did those conversations tear you down? Parents, parents, did your conversations with your children build them up or did those conversations tear your kids down? Kids, the conversations you had with your parents. Did those conversations build your parent up or tear them down? Think closer to home. If you're married, spouses. Did the words you speak to your spouse lift them or discourage them? You know, this is amazing. Uh, One voice can inspire you, lift you, move you forward in life. But also, one voice can knock the wind out of yourselves. One voice can discourage you. One voice can take you out of the game, out of your race. And it happens so often. I want to talk to you. And this is the word I got. I got the text call, whatever it was, I forget now, from Rhonda on Friday. And I had a full day with my wife. We were hanging out together. And Saturday morning when I got up to pray about this, this word came so clear. Usually, it will take me hours and hours to figure out. But this was the clear word to share with Church of the Harvest. I want to talk to you about a simple concept. I want to talk to you about encouragement. Encouragement correctly understood is the language of the New Testament. The phrase to encourage gets used more than 100 times in the New Testament. You know what the word encourage means? It means to breathe courage into. To breathe courage into. Makes a lot of sense when you think about passages like John 20, verse 22, when it says Jesus, after his resurrection, met with his disciples and breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And the next time we see them engaged, they're not cowering in fear. They're launching forward in faith. Why? Courage. Encouragement means to breathe courage into. John Maxwell wants to find encouragement like this. He said, it's like oxygen for the soul. I mean, encouragement is what oxygen is for the body. It's what gasoline is for your car. It enables you to try harder, reach further, dig deeper, hold on longer. When you encourage somebody, you breathe fresh courage and perspective into them. You give them new hope, renewed confidence. Get this, I've never heard of anybody quitting because they were over-encouraged. But, on the contrary, all kinds of people have walked away from a marriage, from a family, from faith because they were discouraged. Truett Cathy wrote this. He said, the international sign to know if someone needs encouraging is this, if they're breathing. I just want you to look around you. If the person sitting next to you is breathing, they need encouragement. If they're not breathing, wait until the message is done, then call the ambulance. (laughs) Think about this. Encouragement isn't something you have to pray about. You don't have to sit and wander in this room. Oh, God, should I encourage somebody? I've already mentioned. It gets, it gets mentioned a hundred times in the New Testament. So instead of praying, God, who can I encourage today? Change your prayer and say, God, how can I encourage everyone I come into contact with? Because everyone I meet at some level is going to need encouragement. Let me just say you'll never just drift into encouragement. Now, you'll drift into criticism. We come by criticism naturally. It's our bent. But when it comes to encouragement, you're gonna to have to be intentional. In fact, that's why John Gordon says, all of us need to strive to become CEOs. And he's not talking about a chief executive officer for a company. He's talking about a chief encouragement officer in every sphere we're involved in. Let's do our best to out-encourage everyone around us. In fact, I've been on this mantra for a few decades now. Culture, culture in every relationship whether it's a business, whether it's a family, whether it's a marriage, whether it's a church, culture in every relationship, it gets created by design or default. If you're going to build a culture of encouragement, it's going to be by design. Now, I shared at OCI Tuesday night, and I'm not going to repeat that message, but several, several months ago, My marriage to this wonderful lady on the front row fell completely apart. And part of what led to its demise, our marriage didn't come apart because of one of the big three, adultery, abuse, addiction. And I'm not attempting to stigmatize any of those because thank God, my God is a God who heals all of those and more. But I always emphasize that because some of us, some of us think, well, if I'm not struggling with one of the big three, I don't have a struggle and I don't need to be attentive. Well, Solomon would disagree. Solomon said, catch the foxes, all the foxes, the little foxes, before they spoil the vineyard of our love. In our relationship, it was the little things that led to big deals. And I failed to create a culture of encouragement in our family. I failed to realize that I should be the CEO in my home, not the chief executive officer, but the chief encouragement officer. I should make it my goal to be that woman's number one cheerleader. She should look to me as the person who believes in her dreams, as the person who cheers her on every time she takes a step of faith. As the person who runs to extend grace and forgiveness if it's needed whenever she falters and fails. And if I could become that kind of person, I'd have a shot at winning the heart of my wife back. Culture gets created by design or by default. If I didn't create that, I would create a culture that was so unattractive to her. I want to talk to you a few minutes about a guy who was really intentional about creating a culture of encouragement. Uh, let, me, let me wait to introduce his name, 2 Corinthians 7. Uh, I've got to set this up because this is written by Paul, who launched missionary movements, Paul, who wrote half of your New Testament, Paul, who launched hundreds, was personally responsible for launching hundreds of church churches. But also, through his influence, launched thousands, millions, maybe even billions of churches. But this guy, I'm talking about a guy who was tough as nails. Don't ever point or paint Paul as a weak man. This is a guy who gets beaten. He gets stoned in a city. And I don't mean that he went there as a pastor and got high. I mean he got stoned. They beat him with rocks. Rocks he's left for dead in the street and somehow the church prays over him he gets up from that beating and goes on this was a dude who was tough as nails but this is a guy who also got discouraged listen to what he says this is very vulnerable of him it's what i love about the bible see in the bible there aren't good people and bad people in the Bible, they're just bad, broken people like me and you, but a good, glorious, and awesome God who will stop at nothing to win us back to himself. So here's what Paul says. When we arrived in Macedonia, there was no rest for us. This guy was stressed to the max. We faced conflict from every direction. In other words, we were getting hit from all sides. The word conflict means opposition, pressure. It was relentless. We face conflict from every direction with battles on the outside, fear on the inside. Notice it. Battles on the outside. What's he referring to? He's referring to the pressure, the opposition he got from religious people. Pressure and opposition he got from the Roman government it was constant if it wasn't the religious authorities it was the government coming after him he said we face conflict battles on the outside and notice the next phrase fears on the inside incredibly about two years ago a major pastoral influencer said that if a man or a woman is struggling with any kind of mental illness they've disqualified themselves from the ministry you know I don't tweet back at people I think it's wasted energy and effort I don't get involved in social media wars but I wanted to ask that pastor dude you've disqualified yourself because you don't even know the Bible because David might have been bipolar Elijah certainly was. One moment he could outrun chariots back to camp. The next moment he's praying that God will kill him. I'm talking about the people in scripture struggled with mental issues and Paul's telling us I face battles from the outside I also face turmoil on the inside and he gives us a glimpse as to what it was it was insecurity it was fear it was anxiety it was stress it was worry it was discouragement it was depression read the verse again when we arrived in Macedonia there was no rest for us we faced conflict from every direction battles on the outside Fear on the inside, and could you say the next two words out loud and together? But God. Oh, you got to say it again. But. Say it again. Here's a great question to ask yourself regularly How big is my butt? Now, I don't mean B-U-T-T, but B-U-T. Some of you got nervous for a second. Is he going to line us up and measure? No, it's not going to happen. How big is my butt? Here's what I mean. Many, many of us sabotage the hopes, dreams, God goals God has given us with this three-letter word, butt, but B-U-T. I don't want worry, fear, stress, discouragement, depression, to constantly eat my lunch. But I can't imagine what it would be like to live with faith, live with confidence, live with courage. I want my life to change, but I don't know if I can. I want to break free from this addiction, but I don't know if I have what it takes. Once an addict, always an addict. I don't want to be dominated by my hurts, habits, and hang-ups, but I can't imagine what God might have for me. I want to begin honoring God with his tithe and my offering, but I don't know if I have enough margin at the end of the month. I want to stop yelling at my kids, but I get so frustrated and so annoyed. I want to believe God for my healing, but I don't know if it's my or if it's his will. Listen, the next time you're tempted to talk yourself out of one of the hopes, dreams, goals God has given you with your big butt, replace your big butt with an even bigger butt and say, but God is faithful, but God can do, but God has promised. I'm going with what He's says. And you look at the Word of God, this concept, but God shows up all throughout. Joseph, after he's betrayed, after he's placed in the pit, goes to prison, elevated to the palace. His brothers get anxious, think he's going to take vengeance upon the death of their dad. And Joseph says, hey, you intended to harm me. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Or how about Psalm forty nine, fifteen, where the sons of Korah write, But God will redeem my life. He will snatch me from the power of the grave. Or how about Psalm seventy-three, where the man known as Asaph writes. My health may fail. My spirit may grow weak. But God is the strength of my heart. He's my joy forever. Or how about Paul who goes back to this theme again and again and again with passages like, but God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were sinners, he sent Christ to die. But God chose the foolish things to confound the wise, the weak things to confound the strong. But God, but God, even when we were dead in trespasses and sin, he made us alive in Christ. That's the kind of but we need to replace all of our anxiety with. So, so look at it with me. Back to verse 5. When we arrived in Macedonia, there was no rest for us. We faced conflict from every direction with battles on the outside, fear on the inside, but God. Man, I love this passage. But God who encourages the discouraged. Uh, if you mark in your Bible, you might want to mark that word, but God who encourages. It's the Greek word parakaleo. It's from another Greek word, parakletos, Same word Jesus used when he talked about the Holy Spirit being our comforter. But God who encourages. You know what that word means? It means to call alongside to help. To come to the aid of, to comfort, to exhort, to inspire, to cheer, to stand with, to stand by. Have you ever thought of God like that? So many of the people I meet in this culture, they view God the exact opposite. God is being some vindictive judge who's just ready to pounce on them the moment they blow it in the slightest of ways. But God who encourages, who comes alongside us, who's our cheerleader, who's inspiring us, who's challenging us, who's comforting us, who's exhorting us, who's saying, I know what you've got. I put it there. I know the stuff you're made of. You're made of more. Actually, you're made of me. Hang in one moment longer. Hang in one second longer. Hang in one day longer. I know what you've got. Let's do this together. You're not left in your own power. My power is working with you. But God, who encourages those who are discouraged, encouraged us. And how did he do it? This, this is where we often miss it. Did, did he do it with one of these dynamic experiences where everybody in the room got slayed in the spirit one moment? It was pretty cool moments, right? Did he do it because I had this personal experience where I saw vision? You no, know, but God who... And by the way, I'm not, I'm not in any way discounting any of those things. But I want you to see the way encouragement often works, most often works. But God who encourages the discouraged encouraged us by the arrival of Titus. When I was ready to throw up my hands and quit, God sent me a friend. God sent me a brother. Man, notice seven. His presence was a joy, but so was the news he brought of the encouragement he received from you. Paul is saying there's something reciprocal about encouragement. Janet and I were talking about this on our drive Friday. Uh, Dr. Emerson Agarix, he talks about something called the crazy cycle. And the crazy cycle is when negative communication patterns begin in a relationship, they tend to foster negative relationship patterns. One of the things Jen and I were getting to do a lot these days is counsel with a lot of people, specifically about marriage. And we just finished a major session the night before, Thursday night. We're counseling a couple, and they're such beautiful people. I mean, they're beautiful, beautiful people but they're caught in the crazy cycle. They're caught and it's just going round and round. And in that interaction Thursday night, they really wanted us to choose sides. They said, here's what we wanna do. We wanna just go through a conflict with you and you say who's right and who's wrong. Hey, they're not paying me anything, but you can't pay me enough to jump into that fray. And and they invited us to do that, and I said, time out. We're we're not going to do that. You don't need someone to monitor a conflict and tell you who's right and who's wrong. Here's what we need. We need a restart of culture. You're in the crazy cycle. What we need to do is get you in what Dr. Egerich calls the energizing cycle. That's what Paul's describing here. Look look at this. His presence, the presence of Titus, was a joy, but so was the news he brought of the encouragement he received from you. In other words, this church gathered around Titus and encouraged a really young man. They filled him with such fire and faith that when Titus, one of the protégés of Paul, reached Paul, he was so filled with fire and enthusiasm that he encouraged Paul. And Paul said, all of a sudden, it's got this cycle of energy going where it's just encouragement. God encourages us. He encouraged the congregation. The congregation encouraged Titus. Titus encouraged me. I'm encouraged you. Let's jump on this encouragement bandwagon." Oh, anybody like the Amplified Bible? When I first got into ministry, I vegged out on the Amplified Bible. And I I had the old red cover one. You remember that one? Here's the Amplified classic of verse number six. But God, who comforts and encourages and refreshes and cheers the depressed and the sinking. comfort. Comforted and encouraged and refreshed and cheered us by the arrival of Titus. Sweetheart, I'm going to have to ask you to come and help me for a moment since I need both hands free for this. We're not singing yet. We're not singing. Okay. Oh, I thought, yeah, we won't be able to do that. That's okay. Thank you. Just hold this microphone where people can hear me, if you would. Uh, by the way, I don't view her as my servant, but she's going to have to help me this morning. Hold it up here real good because I'm Pentecostal. I like to hear myself talk. <laughs> let, me, let me try to explain the way life works, okay? Each of us are born with a spark. Uh, but, by the way, this isn't just metaphorical, this is literally. Scientists. This is recorded, you can Google it when you get home. Scientists have recorded at the moment of conception, a bright spark. Each of us are born with a spark. Unfortunately, here's what happens. Life happens. Here's what I mean by life, I mean trauma. Anybody experience some trauma? What about anxiety? What about feelings of inferiority, insecurity? What about life happens? You're trucking along and all of a sudden someone comes and puts out the fire that once burned so brightly. Life happens to all of us extinguishing the spark. And unfortunately, Unfortunately, when the spark has been extinguished, it's just hard to reignite unless, unless, unless God brings a Titus. And that Titus, filled with the Spirit of God, walks alongside you and says, oh no. You're not going under. It's not over. You're not retiring. You're refiring. I've got a new chapter. God has a new purpose. God has a new plan. It's not over until he says it's over. And he doesn't say it's over. He sent a Titus to encourage you. Thank you, sweetheart. You did that so well. See, I'm encouraging her. So so let me give you a couple of thoughts, okay? We're almost done. How do we build a culture of encouragement? Let, Let me tell you my great love, other than my spouse. My great love is Jesus Church. I love Jesus Church. I believe Jesus Church is his plan A for how he wants to redeem this messed up, broken world. Some of my greatest joy has come from the church. But if I'm really, really vulnerable, I would have to tell you some of my greatest pain has come from the church. And all too often, instead of creating a culture of encouragement, the church has become one of the most discouraging places on the planet. I mean, most congregations are known more for what they're against than what they are for. So, how do we create a culture of encouragement? Let me just give you two thoughts, and they're really basic. Number one, stay connected to the source, but God who encourages the discouraged. Notice that Paul tied encouragement to God, but God who encourages the discouraged. Some of us, we need to reframe our view of God. We've seen him as tyrannical, dictatorial, judgmental, ready to pounce on every failure, quick to criticize, quick to condemn. It's the way we act when we approach others because that's the model we think of when we think of God. We've forgotten Zephaniah 3, which says, But I will rejoice over you with me. I want you to think of God as the God of encouragement. What song is he singing? What song is he singing over you? What song does he want you to sing over somebody else? You know, when we started rebuilding culture in our marriage, we knew we had to be intentional. So we thought we would be radical with with encouragement, that we would just get crazy with it. We knew it wouldn't happen by accident. We knew it would have to happen on purpose. So uh, we'd been rebuilding our marriage, and uh, our children needed us. And I was involved in a build-out project, so I couldn't leave to go be with our children in Birmingham. I had to continue this build-out project, the home Jan and I live in. And I was working sunup to sundown just to finish that build out so we would have a place to live. And Janet went and spent 10 days with our kids. 10 days is a long time for a guy who loves his wife. And I thought, how do, how do I encourage her? Well, we talked regularly on the phone, and that's encouragement. But some idea popped into my head. I think it was inspired by Luke 15 when Jesus talks about the prodigal coming home. Now, my wife wasn't a prodigal coming home. She'd just been to help our kids. So I need to clean this story up before I have more encouragement to do on the back end. But she was coming home after a 10-day absence, and she'd given me that permission, whatever it is, on your phone, so I could track her movement all the way from Birmingham back to Sell Creek, Tennessee. Well, that day, I had worked on our place. I had finished the build-out. We were right down to the end of it when she had to leave. So I had finished the build-out. I had painted everything. I mean, it looked, it looked brand new. It was new. It was all clean. I mean, you could eat off the floor. It was so clean. So I would prepared that environment for so that the environment was clean. But I wanted to make sure the atmosphere was well-prepared. So after cleaning the environment, I cleaned up myself. I wanted her to come home to, hey, I don't have much to work with, but what I do have to work with, I want it to be fine for my wife. <laughs> so I worked on what I've got. And then I tracked her. When she hit Chattanooga, I saw Chattanooga. And then I saw Bakewell. And I got the environment ready. When I saw her turn on to uh, Shipley Hollow Road, I knew it's close so i turned all the lights on in the house i went out in that driveway and i watched for those two lights coming down the road because it was like 10 or 11 o'clock at the time she got to come home and i wanted her to see me welcoming not the prodigal child home but welcoming home the champion wife so it's when she turned into the driveway and those two eye beams shot down the road what she saw was a crazy man at the end of her driveway going my god you're home, you're home I was waving both hands, I was jumping up down, I was showing her here's your parking area, come right in I was doing all of this, she got to laughing she could barely, barely park the car, what I wanted to do is attempt to model the generosity of my father because I believe that's the kind of greeting our God gives us when he sees us stay connected to the source too, here's the second thought, everybody needs a Titus So we encourage somebody today. A little boy gets really scared one night, thunder and lightning storm. He begins to cry. He immediately calls for his parents. They rush to the room. This was a Christian family. So these parents wanted to comfort their child and remind him that God is always present. So they held the boy in their arms. They said, sweetheart, we want you to know that God is always with you. He never leaves you. He is right here. And the little boy wiped the tears out of his eyes and said, I know, Mom and Daddy, but right now I need somebody with skin on. (laughs) Let me just say to you, the people around you need somebody with skin on. How do we do this? I want to give you three takeaways. You ready? Show up. Just be there. His presence was joy. That's what Paul says of Titus. His presence was joy. What do people think of when they think of your presence? Is it joy? What do they think of? Show up to. Speak up our words are so powerful. Let me tell you a passage that I pray over my life. I prayed it this morning before I came to you. I pray it over every speaking engagement, but I also pray it over my marriage. Isaiah 50, verse 4 and 5. The Sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen as one being instructed. The Sovereign Lord has opened my ears. I've not been rebellious. I've not turned away. So almost every day I pray, God, Give me a well-instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. You know the word I got for our ministry time this morning? Is that I was to release you, commission you to prophesy to one another. And God took me to 1 Corinthians 14 verse 3, which says every word of prophecy should do three things, three things. Strengthen. Comfort, Strengthen, encourage, and comfort. Strengthen, encourage, and comfort. Strengthen, encourage, and comfort. Can you imagine what will happen with the church? I don't just mean church of the harvest. I mean the church of Jesus. When we begin to move in the prophetic, so walking down the street, all of a sudden, we strengthen, encourage, and comfort those around us. Janet and I have almost taken this as a mission, especially because we have to travel so much, especially for servants, for servers, hospitality places. We want to shower them with encouragement. We want to strengthen, encourage, and comfort every chance we get. So show up, speak up, and here's the third way. Step up. Get creative. Let me give you this passage, Hebrews 10, verse 24, out of the the passion. Discover creative ways to encourage others and to motivate them toward acts of compassion. Doing beautiful works as expressions of love. So here, here are a few thoughts. If something encouraging comes to your mind about somebody, share it. When you introduce someone to someone new, add something special about the person's character, abilities, accomplishments, relationship. Just tag on something. Learn a person's love languages, and then communicate with them in terms of their love language. When somebody's hurting, when someone is hurting or discouraged, think of and act on one practical way to help. Don't ask, is there anything I can do to help? That's a generic excuse to get you out of doing anything. Think of a practical way you can help and say, hey, i got dinner covered tomorrow night. What's your favorite meal? When when someone needs an uplift, send a handwritten letter or note. Do you know after 40 years of ministry, I've saved every handwritten note that's been given to me? What? They mean something. Send someone a voice text. I love sending voice texts. Voice texts aren't as enduring, and what I mean by enduring, I mean, if you don't press keep, they're gone in two minutes. But there are some I've pressed keep on. There are some voicemails that are years old I still have because of who left the voicemail and what they said. I mean, Your pastor shares every week. And I think some people think that pastors are overwhelmed with encouragement after every message. I don't want to share anything. They might get the big head. I think sometimes the whole church has that idea. Because sometimes you've you've preached your heart out and nobody says, good word, pastor. Hey, why don't you, if you've got your pastor's, if you've got her number don't give her extra weight by having her carry on a two-hour conversation with you she may love to do that but shoot her a voice text and I mean you know how you would if you were watching the Tennessee volunteers play I think I'm safe to say that in Tennessee country I lived in Alabama for more than three decades and by the way I'm still an Alabama fan Tennessee is first in my heart listen to that response So I'm saying, go crazy on the voice text. My goodness, Pastor Rhonda. If you'd went on five more minutes, I wouldn't have made it. I'm telling you, God would have raptured me and taken me to heaven. That was amazing. Could you just do it one more time? God is using you in an amazing way to speak courage into my life. I just got to say, that was amazing. Let me just say, if I ever got one of those voice texts, I would never erase it. I would be, let me hear it again. Let me hear it again. Send flowers. Give an unexpected gift. Pray for them. Pray for them. Make celebration. You want to build a a culture of encouragement? Make celebration a part of the routine. Some of us. You know I'm speaking about this inappropriate way. Some of us, we don't laugh enough. We don't smile enough. We don't dance enough. Celebrate. Be specific with your words of praise. Use appropriate touch, hug, high five, fist bumps. So let me do this. And then we, we really are. 1 Corinthians 14, 3, it came to me so powerfully this morning. And I felt like I was supposed to release and challenge this church to prophesy to one another, sharing words that strengthen, encourage, and comfort. Let, let, me, tell you, let me tell you what I long to see the church do. There's this little book, and I read it on a plane trip a few years ago by Stephen Mansfield called 10 Signs of a Leadership Crash. And he describes what this kind of environment and culture looks like. He writes about a group of friends who chose to pursue a friend when that friend wanted to disconnect and drift from community. One of the most powerful stories I've ever read, God brought it to mind yesterday to share with you today. A wonderful African-American church writes Mansfield. I'm just going to read it out of this book that has a wonderful men's ministry. And all because there's a wonderful men's ministry leader named Taylor. This devoted man led this passionate, adventurous, largely African-American group of men for years. Then something hurtful happened kind of thing that occurs in churches when senior pastors change and visions change with them so Taylor got hurt deeply he resigned he left the church he was embarrassed he didn't know how to process it all he felt best in isolation he locked himself up in his house wouldn't answer the phone wouldn't see anybody thought he could get through it just Taylor and God but he was actually in decline well The hundreds of men in that wonderful men's ministry at that wonderful church were disturbed. Thankfully, Taylor had taught them well and loved them well. They had no intention of letting Taylor go quiet and wounded into the bitter night. So they got his wife's permission and they went camping in Taylor's front yard. They literally pitched tents, brought in food, sat around with big signs Taylor couldn't help but see when he looked out the window. Signs that read, Taylor, we love you. Talk to us, Taylor. We aren't leaving without you, Taylor. Taylor, you're an idiot. Get out here. They were men after all. Did Taylor come out of his house? No. He called the police. He was angry, so the police showed up. Taylor's wife and a few members of the church occupation force told the police what was going on. When the two policemen had heard everything, one of them said, I wish my church cared about each other this much. You stay right here until this fool realizes how much people love him. And the police the police started patrolling the makeshift camp to make sure all is well for the campers then the police decided to help out so every day they stopped by Taylor's house they waded through the campers they ate some of the amazing barbecue they knocked on Taylor's door every single day sir we've been asked to make sure you're okay we've received phone calls sir are there any guns in the house sir are you all right sir are you in danger of harming yourself Uh, Of course, none of this overzealous policing was necessary but it was legal and it made a point. More importantly, it brought Taylor to the front door once a day and gave the men in that yard a chance to shout their love to this man dying from discouragement. Finally, Taylor broke. There were tears, apologies, group hugs. And because it's a men's ministry, massive amounts of food. All was restored. Why? Because a group of men pursued. They didn't let isolation became, become the norm. They didn't sit around scratching themselves and saying, whatever happened to old Taylor? He was such a good guy. I haven't seen him in years. No, they decided that Taylor and their friendship with Taylor was worth taking a week off of work. And risking everything to win that man back and they did I've asked my brother his wife Janet to help me and we're just they're they're going to I'm not going to they're just going to sing uh, a song that you'll know and uh, during this moment there's a simple prayer I want you to pray and I'd like for you to pray it after me right now if you feel comfortable in doing it just close your eyes and say these words out loud Holy Spirit What are you saying to me? Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Listen to him. You'll know this song. If you feel comfortable standing to sing, you can stand. If you'd rather kneel, you can kneel. If you want to remain seated, you can remain seated. But as we sing, I believe the Holy Spirit is going to be very specific, someone you need to encourage. And by the way, one of the ways you can tell it's the voice of God, if it's something good, if it's something beautiful, if it's something right and pure and lovely, believe that's God. You won't come up with that on your own. Just lean into it and then get ready. We're just just going to act on this. Would you lead us?